God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognise his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Today we're talking about how to live your dream and how a God-given dream comes to pass. We're going to look at some of the answers to those questions by drawing on the patterns we see in the lives of the biblical greats, people like Abraham, Moses and Joseph. We're going to ask how a dream is birthed how a God-given dream will never die unless we kill it ourselves, and how a God-given dream works to transform us from the inside out. What are you going to be when you grow up? It's a question we usually ask children, but it's also a question we need to ask of ourselves. God has a purpose for each one of us. It's one that suits who we are, our talents and our giftings, and it's a call that's designed to be both a blessing to ourselves and to others around us. This week, we're looking at the topic, the dream that never dies, how a God-given dream comes to pass. I remember many years ago, I was 26 years old. I was standing on a football field teaching a group of 12-year-old children how to kick a football. And I was wondering if this is what I was called to do for the rest of my life. I'd been a sports teacher for four years. I'd enjoyed it, but I knew that ultimately this wasn't what God had for me. And if I'm honest, I wasn't even that good at some of the sports I was meant to teach. Like football, in this case, it was AFL style. And I had to teach my students how to do a torpedo kick. And I'd always struggle. You know, the ball was supposed to spin like a torpedo. You would angle it a certain way and that's how it was supposed to look. But when I did it, it usually spun like a banana. So I used to play that famous teacher trick. If you know teachers or you are a teacher, you'll know this trick. I said to the students, Who here would like to demonstrate a torpedo kick? And instantly half the class would put their hand up and I would be saved from endless embarrassment. But the point was, I I didn't feel like this was it. God, there has to be something more. So I began to pray. I began to ask that question, what am I called to be when I grow up? The truth is that God has a purpose for each one of our lives. There's a reason you're here on the planet, and it's only you that can fulfill what God has for you. God has a dream for us that brings joy and hope and blessing, and that meets the desires of our heart. He knows those plans that he has for us, Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, and he wants to reveal them to us. So this week we're talking about the dream that never dies. When God places a dream in our hearts, He intends to see it fulfilled. But we're going to have a look at that process by which it happens. And we're going to have a look at some of the figures in history to see exactly what works, how God works in people's lives to unfold His plans. You're going to see some patterns in the lives of people like Joseph and David and Abraham. And then we're going to talk about how do we apply those principles to our own lives. Let's start with a well-known story from the Bible. 
It was about God's plans for a young man who lived around about three millennia ago. Joseph was probably around 16 years old when God first spoke to him. You can read the story for yourself in Genesis chapter 37. But God said that one day Joseph would be in a position of significant leadership, such that even his family, his siblings, his parents would bow down to him. And the way God spoke to him was in two prophetic dreams. They were symbolic dreams. One had sheaves of grain bowing down to his sheaf, and another one had the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down to him. But I want you to notice that the dream originated with God. It came on God's initiative. Joseph, as a mere teenager, knew nothing of the details. He really had no idea. He was the youngest in his family. He was living as a nomad in Israel, surrounded by his family, and he couldn't conceive the outside world. He had no idea of the inner workings of the Egyptian empire that would eventually see his dream realised. He had no connections with leadership. He was just out in the desert, one of the youngest in his family, at a time when birth order made a difference to where you would end up. Naturally, the dream was impossible. But God knew who Joseph was, and he had planned significance for his life. And just like Joseph, God wants to speak into our lives. He wants to give us a vision for our future, a vision that brings blessing and life, motivation and inspiration. We may not know all of the details and how it works out, but we do know that God has a plan for us. And it starts with giving our lives over to him. That's what I did when I was around about 21. But I remember at the time, I wondered, if I gave my life to God, would he plan something horrible for me? Would he ask me to do something I didn't want to do? There was a song around at the time that I was growing up and it went something like this, please don't send me to Africa. (laughs) What if God asked me to do something I didn't want to do? What if he wanted me to marry someone, I thought, who was really unattractive? What if he called me to do something I hated? My fear came from a lack of understanding of the nature of who God is and his plans. The truth is, we're going to love God's purpose for ourselves because it's related to how he created us to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And that means our talents, our gifts, and yes, even our desires are integrally connected to God's purpose for us. In other words, we're going to love his plans for our lives. They're going to suit us perfectly. I remember watching one of those reality TV talent shows. There was a young man on the stage and he was performing and he had a dream to be a famous singer. In fact, in the introduction, his mother spoke of his passion and his commitment to make it happen. She was raving about his desire to see the dream fulfilled. Then the young man came onto the stage and to be honest, the performance was awful. This man had no singing talent. And there was one particular judge there who was known for his very honest feedback. And in this case, he didn't hold back. He was blunt and he was straight. He said, there is no way that your dream is ever going to happen. You just don't have the talent. The truth is that this man's dream was completely misplaced. 
his natural abilities didn't match the dream. When we allow God to birth his dream in our hearts, it won't be like that. His dream, his plans will match who we are. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't some growth and learning in the journey. It doesn't mean that there's not some hard work and some training along the way. It certainly doesn't mean that it all comes to us on a platter. But it does mean that God's dream for our lives will bring great blessing and joy, not only to ourselves, but to everyone around. So how does it begin? Well, the place to start in seeing God's dream birthed in us is to do what I did at the beginning of the show. I prayed and I asked God to speak to me, to show me what it was that he had for me. I basically gave him a clean slate and said, God, what's on your heart? That's where we start. We seek him. We ask him. We get a sense of, God, what am I on the planet for? What are you calling me to do? And then we begin to have a look at who God made us to be our desires, our abilities, our talents. We, we ask with those around us who know us well, who are not so blinkered by our sense of inadequacy. We ask them, well, what do you see? I encourage you to allow God to speak his plans and purpose into your life. Allow him to show you his dream, to speak his words of destiny into your spirit, just as Joseph did. It's such an exciting truth that God has a purpose for each one of us, one that will bring great joy and that will meet the desires of our heart. I remember back when I was 26, soon after God spoke to me about my future, I'd been so excited. It was a desire of my heart and I was full of anticipation. How would it happen, God? I waited a week and nothing. I waited a month, still nothing. After a few months, I'm like, God, what you said, it's, it's not coming to pass. What's happening? Maybe I didn't hear from you after all. What I didn't understand at the time is that after God speaks, it signals the beginning of a journey, a journey that unlocks a process that unfolds and eventually brings us to our promised lands. It takes time, but not only time, it takes fellowship, our submission to God's leadership. It's almost like God takes you to the top of a mountain and gives you the view. He says, this is what I have for you. This is your promised land. It all looks wonderful. We're blown away by the view. But then the time comes when we have to leave the peak and begin to follow our guide. God alone knows the way to the promised land and his leading will always take us through a process of growth and development. Step by step, we learn to respond to his spirit, to go where he calls us to. People often stay on the mountaintop and when God calls them to the next step, they can buck at it. They want the dream, but they don't want to go where the dream takes them. They don't want to follow God's process as God begins to develop them. We need to continue to respond, to follow the guide. And sometimes our guide takes us in a direction that we didn't expect to go. A year or so after God first spoke to me, he started to show me the things that I needed to do. First of all, he said I needed to go to Bible college. But the truth is, I didn't want to go. I wanted to take a shortcut. I didn't want to go back to university and retrain all over again. It was another four years of study. I'd already done that much. And I was saving for a house. I wanted to buy a property. And to go to Bible college meant I would have to give that up. 
but God was speaking to me. He was showing me the steps I needed to take. And I remember making a phone call to the Bible college my pastor recommended. I was asking all the right questions, but I was so angry in my heart. I really didn't want to do what God was calling me to do. Then something odd happened. The man on the phone was enthusiastically telling me about the courses, and as he did that, I felt this joy well up inside. The Spirit was filling me with excitement and anticipation. My head was saying, no, this is too hard, I don't want this, but the Spirit was calling me forward. As I followed God, I began to realise that I ended up loving what God was calling me to do. I loved the study at college. I love learning about how to do ministry. And I remember the first time I ever preached, there were people in my church who didn't know me who said, you know, that really suits you, what you're doing right now. That's what God's plans for us are like. And sometimes it involves steps that we don't want to take, steps that we didn't plan on, steps that involve sacrifice. But His Spirit knows the way to our promised land. He knows how to get there and He wants to work in us, to form us, to be the kind of people that can inherit the promised land that He's given us. We see the same sort of pattern with a man who lived four millennia ago. God had spoken to Abraham about his destiny. He spoke about a child who would become a nation. He spoke about a land and a reputation. But Abraham actually had to leave what he was doing. He literally had to leave his home. And God may not call us to leave our geographic place, but he will call us to the next step. He will ask us to follow Him. And if we're going to see our dreams fulfilled, we have to learn to trust the one who knows how to get us there. We need to understand that it's step by step, one at a time. The little things and in the big things, we need to keep following. But then as we do that, you'll notice that our steps of obedience, our steps of trust will attract God's favour and his blessings. You see, his words, his promises have the power to create and to fulfill themselves. So when we follow them, we attract God's favour. When I made that decision to go back to study, eventually God spoke to me about doing more study, to do my master's. And again, I didn't have the money. Again, it was a sacrifice. At the time, the fees were around about $4,400 a year, which at the time was quite a lot of money. And I just didn't have it. But I said, okay, God, yes, I'll I'll do what you're calling me to do. I was starting to learn what my heart response should be. Well, soon after that, a couple came up to me at church. It was an odd conversation. They said, Tanya, we really feel that God wants us to give you our car. I'm like, what? Really? And they led me out to the car park and they handed over these keys to a red Corolla. I didn't want to tell them like I already had a car, a gold Honda, that I was quite fond of. But now I had two cars. I thought, well, God, what am I supposed to do with two cars? The next day I advertised the red Corolla. And you can guess what it sold for. $4,400, the exact amount of fees that were required for my first year of my master's. That's how it works. When we follow God's leading, we will begin to see his dream unfold. I didn't know it at the time, but my master's study was so important for the bigger plan that God had for me down the track. And he calls us like that, step by step. He knows the way there. We just need to learn 
to follow. Joseph was a young man who had a dream. He had a big dream. One day he'd be in leadership. One day he'd be in a place of incredible influence and blessing, a position that would bring hope to so many. But right at the beginning, his brothers became jealous of his aspirations and threw him in a pit. He was sold as a slave and sent to a foreign country. What about that dream now? Even through it all, Joseph maintained his integrity. Still, he served God and he held on to the dream. But then his boss's wife tried to seduce him. And when he refused her, she falsely accused him. And he found himself in jail with no way of getting out. What about his dream now? We've been talking this week about how God has a plan for our lives. It's a good plan that brings hope and fulfilment of our deepest desires. It's a plan that suits the person we've been created to be. But sometimes when we're going on this journey to seeing our dream realised, circumstances come in. We get falsely accused. People around us become jealous. Bad things happen. Then what? I found myself asking similar questions not long after I heard from God about his purpose for my life. And very quickly I discovered that it wasn't all easy. It wasn't all divine favour and blessing and hope. There were things that happened along the way that I didn't expect. Bad things, hard things. So the question is, what happens after we receive the dream from God? You see, the problem is that we live in a fallen world. This is a world where there is a prince of the power of the air, as the Bible says, whose name is Satan, another word for the accuser. He's the one who comes along to do anything he can to thwart God's plan, to get in the way of it, to stop it from happening. The truth is that living with a God dream in our hearts doesn't mean that bad things won't happen either to me or the dream itself. Along the way, we find that God's promises for our lives come under attack. If it's a God dream, it may take a lifetime to unfold. And while it does, hard times happen. You know, I can imagine Joseph sitting in the prison asking the same kinds of questions we ask when things go wrong. Lord, I've done the right thing. I've tried to follow you, God. And here I am, sitting in a dungeon, with no chance of ever getting out. I imagine him sitting there, imagining and remembering those dreams that he had of the sheaves of wheat bowing down to him, of the sun, moon and stars bowing down to him, that dream, those two dreams he had when he was a mere teenager, and wondering how on earth can those things happen? How can they come to pass? I've got no way of getting out of here. He tried to get out and there was a little bit of hope at one point, but still he finds himself in the prison with no chance, no possibility of the dream coming to pass. I think in life that can happen to us too. When things go wrong, when there's health issues, when there's money issues, when there's relationship issues, we find ourselves like Joseph asking, can this dream live? Well, the truth is that God's plans can't be defeated. When God calls us, when he speaks into our lives, his words transcend time. They overrule circumstances and they overtake 
the generations. See, his words are not like our words. They're full of power. They're full of creativity. When he promises something, it's a matter of his character. He cannot lie. Those things must come to pass. Numbers 23 verse 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Bad times don't disqualify the dream. We need to continue to hold on to them just like Joseph did. The Bible says that the word of the Lord proved him true. As long as we maintain our integrity, just as Joseph did, as long as we continue to follow the Spirit's leading, God has the power to overcome any situation. He has the power to get us there. Nothing is impossible for him. We see that in Joseph's story. The rest of the story is told in Genesis chapter 39 to 45. The Pharaoh at the time has a dream that he can't interpret. And Joseph is known around as someone who understands how God speaks in this way. So he's called up to help. And voila, soon he is promoted to be the second in charge of the whole empire. Just like that, the dream dramatically comes to pass and his family ends up bowing to him, just as the dream spoke when he was a young teenager. He becomes a leader of significance that God had destined for him, such that the nations around came to Egypt for supplies when the drought hit. His dream was fulfilled and it was fulfilled in a way that blessed him, but not only him, but all the nations around it. As the psalm says, the word of the Lord proved him true. God wants to work in our lives in the same way. He says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. When we're following God's purposes for our lives, hard times can come in. The enemy may attack. We have an accuser who attempts to thwart God's purposes, but God's words never fail. His dreams never die. What a privilege to follow the one who carries our dreams in his heart. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we're created for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. The scriptures tell us that God knows the plans he has for us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And we know that God's purposes have the power to overcome any obstacle, that no weapon formed against him shall prosper. However, There is one thing that can stop God's plan. Can you think of what it is? God is faithful, but what if we are unfaithful? This is a very important truth to take a hold of. We can stop God's dream coming to pass when we make decisions to go against his plans. And we see the reality of this In the scriptures, there are plenty of examples of people who did just that. And as a result, they forfeited God's dream for their lives. Think of the example of Saul. He was a man of great purpose. He was called to be the first king of Israel. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that he was chosen by God. He had the spirit resting on him such that he was turned into another man, it says. But later on through the story, a few chapters later in chapter 15, we see that Saul chooses to disobey God's commands. And God says, I'm grieved that I've made him king. He's turned away from me. He's not carried out 
my instructions. And as a result, the Lord had to reject him as king. You see, originally God was wanting to give Saul and his descendants the throne forever. But later he says he regrets making him king and the crown is taken from him. Well, there's another example, the story of Moses, this incredible leader, this person that God had called to lead his people into a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a wonderful dream of significance and blessing. And it starts well. They're led through the Red Sea. There's miracles with the manna and quail. But then what happens? Moses disobeys. He chooses to make decisions to do things his own way. And it effectively cancels out the promises for his life. Moses didn't end up entering the promised land that he was called to lead his people into. And one final example, the nation of Israel. They were chosen to be his people, but they were constantly unfaithful. In fact, their attitude is depicted in the story of Hosea and Gomer. And it's a metaphor showing what the attitude of his people was like. Hosea was like the faithful husband, but Israel was like his unfaithful wife, Gomer, and she would run out and commit adultery with other lovers. The husband waited patiently, showing consistent and covenant love, but still Gomer rejected him. And what was God saying? It was like they'd entered into a marriage covenant. They'd made promises of faithfulness to each other, but the nation consistently turned away and worshipped other gods. They were involved in idolatry. They performed child sacrifice and they burned incense to other gods. As a result of that, even in spite of God's consistent faithfulness, It was as though God had to divorce them and choose another generation. That generation lost their promised land and they went into exile. The truth is that God does have a plan for us, but we need to follow his leading and continue to follow. His plan is conditional upon our choices. The dream will never die due to circumstances or God's inability, but it can be killed by my bad choices by my impatience, by my disobedience. And if I choose to go down that track, there will be consequences. And there are good reasons for this. See, it's not as though God is a killjoy asking us to be perfect. It's not that at all. But the reason that there's consequences is that God knows we need to grow so we can receive all that he has. He knows what it takes to be someone who lives their dream. So he prepares us for it. And every time we resist his call or his work of transformation in our lives, we stop, we delay the dream from coming to pass. And oftentimes, you know, those decisions are made in hidden places. Quite often, they're the issues of our lives where people can't see, those areas of character where God is watching to see if we're faithful, to see if we're ready for the dream. We often find ourselves asking, but God, what about this job? What about this position that I want to have? And God's saying, no, look at this area of your character. (laughs) What about your anger, your impatience, your jealousy and your unforgiveness? He's dealing with our hearts and he's saying, let me worry about the rest. And then when the time comes, his favour follows. He works behind the scenes in ways and in places that we can't see. 
I remember when God was working in my life to bring my dream of full-time ministry to pass. It was early days, and he'd called me to belong to a church in the inner east of my city. He'd said to me, I will raise you up in leadership in this place. You'll be mentored by the senior pastor, and you'll work here one day a week. I'm thinking, well, how on earth could that happen? I was brand new in the church. I had no personal connections with the leadership, no real reputation. A couple of weeks later, we had a church service and it was the prayer time at the end. And during that time, my pastor came over and began to pray for me. And this is what she said, Tanya, God has spoken to me and he's called me to mentor you, to raise you up in leadership in this church and to work here one day a week. The next week, I was on the platform leading communion. See, God's plans were coming to pass. He sovereignly made a way, promoting me to a place where I couldn't go. But the reason he did that was because I was ready. He made a way, but he'd also seen that I'd been obedient in those decisions in the hidden places along the way. He'd seen that I had said yes to him. Yes, that I'd made the sacrifices. Yes, that I'd gone back to study. Yes, that I'd left the job I love. And he's asking the same thing for us as well. When God begins to lead us, when he begins to challenge us in those areas of our lives, he says, let me worry about the fulfillment. Let me worry about those bigger steps that you can't control. But what I want you to do is to become the person that I've created you to be. I want you to to release those things. I want you to deal with the issues of your heart that are holding you back. And when we set our hearts to do that, when we set our hearts to follow, nothing in this world can stop his plan. Our future is secure as we continue to follow. In order to see our God-given dreams fulfilled, we need to understand that this is a partnership between ourselves and God. God does the miraculous thing. He opens the doors. But we play our part by responding to the things he tells us to do. And when we do that, he prepares our character so that when we're ready, when the right time comes, he will bring those things to pass and nothing will stop him. For I know the plans I have for you, God says in Jeremiah 29:11, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a plan that's suited with who God has created us to be, a plan that will bring great joy and fulfillment. But the problem comes when we start to love the plan too much. When that plan, when that God-given dream starts to get in the way of our love for God, I was confronted by this truth very early on in my journey to my dream. God had said, you'll be in full-time ministry one day. You'll be my voice. You will carry my heart and your life will influence many around the world. It was a dream that echoed the desire of my heart. And I remember just being so excited when he first spoke it into me in my mid-20s. But soon after that conversation, soon after that call, God spoke to me again. And this time he spoke in a vision. I saw myself as a little girl. It was Christmas time and I ran to see all the wonderful gifts beneath the Christmas tree. There were so many and they were all beautifully wrapped. And I I could actually feel that young child excitement as I watched the scene play out. But then as I watched myself unwrapping the gifts 
It was like the Father God was sitting there on his chair, watching from behind. He was so excited to give them to me. He knew that they would bring me great joy because he knew me so well. But it was like he was saying the whole time, will you run to the gifts first or will you run to me? You see, the problem can come when we start to put our dreams ahead of our passion for God. Seek me first, God says, and everything else will be added to you. God's plans for us are good. They give us a hope and a future, but they must be submitted to the giver of the plan itself. I think that's what was happening with that strange story we've already mentioned from the book of Genesis. Abraham had the dream, but perhaps he had begun to love it too much. Perhaps it was in danger of taking over his heart and he began to love it more than the one who gave it. So God worked in it to free him from that. The scriptures say in Genesis chapter 22 that God tested Abraham. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. It's a really unusual conversation. See, remember here that Isaac was not only Abram's beloved son, his miracle son. He also represented the dream, the dream that God had actually given him, everything that God had promised for his life. From this son would come a nation, a nation that would go on to bless many. And that dream had come from God himself. It didn't make any sense. But as you read on, you begin to understand what's really happening here, that God's intent was not to kill the dream. It was to kill the potential for the dream to become an idol in Abraham's heart. See, God wants us to know him, to put him first, to love him first, and then he can fulfill his purposes in our lives. If we love our dreams too much, they can become an idol. And when the dream becomes an idol, it wrecks our lives. So in the end, we see that Abraham was willing to offer up the dream. And we see his heart. And of course, God stops the sacrifice of Isaac. It was never his intent. In fact, he's against child sacrifice. This was a complete opposite of who his character is. But notice what he says in verse 12 of chapter 22. It says this, Now I know that you fear God, Abraham, because you haven't withheld from me your son, your only son. And then what does it say? It says, Now I can give you more. I can surely bless you. I can make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God increases the dream. He knows now that he can trust Abraham with more blessing, more influence, more authority, He knows that the power and the wealth and the good things will never get into his spirit. And because of that, he can give him more. That's exactly the same process that God works in us. He often comes along and calls us to offer up our dreams, to give them back to him. Because he knows if we're not ready, he knows if there's idols in our heart, the fulfillment of your dream will destroy us. We will worship it above the one who gave it. Looking back, that's exactly how God worked with me. 
He had so many gifts ready to give me back then, but I knew that I wasn't ready to receive them. I knew I had to learn to put God first before I could fully receive. You know, since that vision back in the early days, God has spoken to me about Christmas again. And I've had to see a lot of sacrifices to see that dream come to pass. He's called me to leave things behind, a home I'd loved, a job I enjoyed, to give up money. But each time I've done that, He's increased the promise. Each time he's given me back the things I value most. But underlying it all, I would still love him, even if the dream would never come to pass. I hope you've enjoyed this week's program, The Dream That Never Dies, and that you've been encouraged and inspired about your own dream. God wants to work in you to bring his plan to pass. And as we cooperate with the leading of his spirit, we'll see it unfold in ways that we could never dream or ask or imagine. That's my prayer for you, that you'll begin to see that realised because as you do, you're going to experience the greatest fulfilment and others around you are going to enjoy the blessing of God's plan in your life. If you would like to learn more about what it is to hear God's voice about your own dream, about what God has for you, can I encourage you to go to godconversations.com. There's a wonderful array of resources that have been tailor-made just for you. You've been listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris today. Looking forward to talking to you again next time. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. Be sure to catch the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click on the subscribe button. While you're there, why not help us to equip others to hear God's voice by rating the series and giving us a review. And remember, Jesus said that we would recognise his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.